Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, Hale Varsity's managing editor and hat bully man, Brandon Vogel. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, hat bully man is, is probably uh, a good way to describe myself. If I were to divulge how many hats I owned and have owned in my life, uh, I've, I've been a hat guy since since way back in the day. So You do have uh, quite a... I would say like eclectic, but it's also just really cool collection of hats. <laughs> you are you are a, a hat connoisseur. It's a wide range of styles. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, back in the in the nineties when I was in high school, I uh, yeah, it was it was much much more about uh, the the look of the hat than like whatever whatever team it supported. So when the toronto raptors entered the nba be like well, i gotta have one of those i mean i'm old enough to remember when the charlotte hornets came into the nba that was that was obviously a big one because who was who was teal and purple at that point and then every team became teal <laughs> for for a while so yeah I, I i wore a lot of hats of teams that i actually didn't support well it, in the 90s it was a golden era of cartoon style professional team logos and mascots um, specifically with the Raptors and the Charlotte Hornets. I feel like I would have wanted any kind of gear I can get my hands on that had those logos with like the purple and red and the purple and teal color schemes. Those were great. Yeah. The San Jose Sharks were, were another big one. Uh, Anaheim Ducks, of course, were around that era. The only one that didn't work was when the Pistons were like, we're going to be teal for a little bit and we're going to have this weird like horse head logo. Um, that one was, I think, I, th I think that was, I think that was the end of teal officially, at least in my book. There is a photo of me at home. That is me as a child sitting on a couch, wearing a little baby San Jose sharks Jersey um, next to my dad, who's wearing an adult size San Jose sharks Jersey. And so I've always had this like, attachment to san jose just specifically because of that picture and nothing else i've never watched a hockey game of theirs uh, but that is the thing before we continue i want to take a second and thank the sponsor fsc edge fsc edge integrates ai technologies case management tools and augmented operators to optimally process patent documents quickly and accurately FSC Edge supports some of the world's largest patent offices, including the European Patent Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Hey, that seems like a pretty big deal. The team over at FSC Edge is always looking for new members to come on board. You won't be on the phone all day. 
You won't be customer facing, which means no stuffy suits and ties. That's nice. You will be doing impactful work on a national scale and learning about patents. Folks who've worked with FSC Edge have all come away saying the same kinds of things. Affable, inviting, accepting, welcoming, easy to work with. Check out available jobs today by going to jobs at fsc.com. You bring up the NBA because I did want to ask you a question before we get before we get rolling. We're recording this on a Thursday, and being a long-suffering Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I am um, very excited for the 22 NBA draft, which takes place Thursday night. My team has the number two pick. So, Brandon, I would like to ask you a question. You are a team drafting second overall. And the pool of players from which to draft from is anybody who has ever played in the NBA. I'm assuming Michael Jordan is off the board at number one. You get to pick number two, basically restart your franchise, rebuild your franchise, start a a new expansion franchise. You have the number two pick. Michael Jordan's off the board. Who are you taking number two? Sam Bowie. Uh, So it'll just be a reverse of that, that Michael Jordan draft where Bowie went one spot ahead. Um, no, I, it's probably for, for today's game and game going forward, it's probably got to be LeBron and, you know, and, you know, depending on, I think generationally where you're from and where you follow the NBA most closely, you'd probably say that that order should be reversed. But if it's not LeBron, I mean, it's, it's tough. You know more about where the NBA is at and where it's going than I do. I kind of passively pay attention to it, but just anybody in the NBA whatsoever, like Kareem can't far fall very far down that list for me, even though that doesn't seem the way that the game is played anymore. Also, Wilt Chamberlain, like with as dominant as he was, he wouldn't be as dominant today. Um, but yeah, I think that's my order. Like if, if, if Jordan goes one and LeBron's available, LeBron, LeBron goes for me. If for some reason we decide, no, we, we feel like we're, we're good on the wing, um, with these players that can do everything. And we, we need a big man. Kareem's probably first up. One thing that would be really interesting is in this hypothetical draft, where would Larry Bird go? Because I'd be very curious to see that kind of shooter with his kind of size and just basketball IQ, he, he feels like he'd be a very highly valued player. I feel like he could go a little bit earlier than like if somebody was making a 10 greatest players of all time list. Like I feel like Larry Bird's draft status would not agree with that list or his placement. On it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And it's, it's interesting because I do think the way the game is played now has kind of risen up to meet what, what Larry Bird was able to do then, because I mean, then like he's, you know, six, nine and obviously won multiple MVP awards, clearly a good player, but like the NBA was on a trajectory where, well, you had Magic, who was also a six-nine point guard who could do everything, and you had Michael Jordan, who was just a couple years behind those guys, and it was it was moving towards sort of the pure athleticism piece of it, I think. Um, and 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 Larry Bird just never really fit that. He was just kind of a, a freakishly good basketball player. Now I feel like that player gets valued probably a little bit more 
than than even when Larry Bird was drafted. And I don't remember if he was drafted. I mean, he was definitely in the top three. I don't remember what number he was drafted, but it was also weird then because like Boston drafted him a year ahead of him actually being out of college. Um, so they basically just had to like sit on it for a year. The original draft and stash. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to keep your roster building hat on your GM hat on, but we're going to pivot to football. The reason I have you on the podcast today, Steve Mark is starting a series on the 10 most intriguing Huskers as he sees it heading into the 22 season. Number 10 has been posted. I didn't look this morning. I don't know if number nine has been posted or what the schedule is, but go look for that on hailvarsity.com. We will bring him on. I'll try to bring him on when we get a little bit later to it. So we can kind of recap the series, but Brandon, I have you on because I would like to ask you, to do something similar, similar exercise, I gave you some homework. I wanted five names. The five Huskers that you are most intrigued by heading into the 22 season. You can start at number one and work your way back. You can start at number five and work your way up. Whatever you would like to go with. Okay. Um, well, you handled this task for us in the past, so it's something you know well. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Um and talking about it with Steve to sort of get this series that's on the website now ready, you know, we kind of realized like the language matters here a little bit. Like we debated, like, should we go intriguing? Should we go important? Because they may not seem that different, but they're, they're different things. Um, also a key point is it five most intriguing Huskers. Um, that'll come up later for, for me, but I'll start off at number five. And honestly, like I tried to resist this a little bit, but I just, I couldn't at the end. Number five for me would be Garrett Nelson. And the reason I tried to resist it for a little bit is, you know, for the entire month of May, we're getting the yearbook ready, um, which there are physical copies that actually exist now. So th that'll be making this way to subscribers soon. Um, it's no longer just an, an idea. It's actually a physical product. Um, and I kind of thought all through May, I was like, you know, Garrett Nelson, like, I think everybody knows that he's clearly a good player. Like, I, I truly believe, and, and, and I've thought this basically since spring football, we get to the end of 2022, I think he could be Nebraska's best player. And I thought that was kind of a contrarian opinion for a while. And then I, I picked up the Athlon um, college football preview, national college football preview, and they had him as first team Big Ten. I was like, oh, maybe uh, maybe I'm not as far out ahead of this as, as I thought I was. But I'm still going with that between, I think, Garrett Nelson's – work ethic for for lack of a better term his kind of devotion to what nebraska is trying to do and then at his actual ability like it would not surprise me at all if we get to the end of 2022 and even though he's number five on my list we're like that was nebraska's best football player this past season if the if the question because i agree with you the language matters and it's like intriguing is a little bit different from important if the question was most important is he in your top 10 still is he in your top three two yep i don't think that's a tough question i he might go a spot or two higher i don't know if i put him at top three just because there are bigger questions i have with the nebraska versus than with what i'm going to get out of garrett nelson which to to the language point of this like 
you know, intriguing versus important versus anything else. Like for somebody like Luke Reimer, it's almost a, an ultimate testament to what he's proven to this point to not be on a list like this. So spoiler alert, he's not on mine because like, I feel like I know what I'm getting from, from Luke Reimer. He has proven himself as an excellent football player. Um, a guy who was undervalued coming out of high school and quickly proved his worth. So somebody like that, where it's like, Oh, I can just put you over here. I don't have to worry about you. Like that's kind of the ultimate luxury. So with Garrett Nelson being here at number five, do you think, are you still waiting for a piece of his game to maybe click? Or do you think that he's a guy who is still sort of, he's on the ascent reaching potential, not at potential yet. He had, he had, uh, he was a half tack, a ta- language words. He had 11 and a half tackles for loss last year. David Ajabo, who was a big deal going through the draft process had 12 at Michigan. Yeah. Like you go through his numbers and I was like looking down the board, big 10 leaders and tackles for loss. He is ninth tied with George Karloftis. Um, so he produced, he's at a position of importance, position of great value in today's game. Um, how much bigger is the ceiling? I think, I think it's high for him. And that's, and that's why I have him here. And, and, you know, and that gets tough, particularly from a numbers perspective, particularly, I guess, if people are similar to myself or similar to some others out there looking at him being like, yeah, that's, that's one of their like three or four best players. You gotta, you gotta figure out what to do with him. Those numbers might come down, which, which still, particularly as a guy who's tasked primarily with getting after the quarterback, uh, still has an impact elsewhere on the field. But um, I think in terms of guys who have the most like growth potential, Garrett's definitely in that group for me with, with Nebraska. Um, right now he's, he's a guy who like, it, it was almost, you know, the numbers you mentioned, which I've, I've looked at numerous times, but you know, it still kind of comes as a surprise to me when compared to some of these guys who were quote unquote ready made, you know, to go into the draft and be like, it still seems like there's more out there for him. So that's really why he ends up at number five. Like, I think he has huge, huge potential. And it's not that I, you know, I compared him directly kind of to Reimer. It's not that I don't think he does, uh, that Reimer has that potential, but I just think Garrett is a, a little bit higher at this point. I was reading through Phil Steele's preseason magazine the other day. Um, and I don't want to misrepresent. He, he does... Uh, unit rankings throughout the country. I don't, I think top 20, but I don't want to misrepresent. So I'm just going to say, say, I know top 25. He had Nebraska's linebacking core among the 25 best units, possibly 2020 or top 20. I could pull it up, but I, I saw that and I was like, Hmm, that's high. But then I was kind of reading through the justification and thinking about it and saying, okay, Garrett Nelson, Luke Reimer, Nick Henrich. Yep. I can get there. Totally. Yeah, yeah, because I happen to have it on my desk. I pulled out Athlon. They have Nebraska's linebacker group at three, which if you're three in the Big Ten, you're top 25 yeah. nationally. So. Perfect. Okay. All right. I like that pick. Let's go to number four. What do you got? 
Yeah, this one will be a little bit more of a wild card sort of potential play, even more so than Nelson. But um, I've got Marcus Buford. Um, seems to be slotted in at safety, though Travis Fisher was was pretty clear to say, like, that dude, I can play play him at corner tomorrow if I need to, or I can play him in safety tonight, um, which, you know, kind of describes his value in a nutshell. But this is, like... I need to go back. This is one of my off-season projects and look at this. But, like, I love guys. And I assume, like I said, I haven't gone back and, like, looked at it for myself yet. But guys that contribute, that you can't keep off the field in their first year of eligibility solely on special teams where you're just like, no, we got to have that guy on. Because, like, 95% of that gets noticed by nobody. Um, but the coaches see it. Uh, that, that was Buford last year and he kind of rose up the ranks. You know, Nebraska has some holes in the secondary to fill. If, if Buford is able to fill one of those and continue a kind of continual progression from where he's been, like I'm super high on him. So in terms of intrigue, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued in Buford at presumably safety for the 2022 season. So he played in every single game as a true freshman. That's what Nebraska lists. They say he appeared in every single game his first year on campus. And according to PFF's numbers, he played a total of 19 snaps on defense. He finished the season with three tackles. So everything else was coming on special teams. And I agree with you 100%. The guys that work their tail off on special teams are guys that you can safely project are going to be growers or developers throughout their college career because they're taking practice seriously and they're taking all aspects of practice seriously. Um, he's, he's definitely interesting. What, what did you make of the way Travis Fisher talked about his room in the spring? Like, how do you feel generally going into, as we get closer to fall camp about what Nebraska has, because to start off Steve's list, he has another newcomer yeah. in, in the secondary. That's Tommy Hill. Um, they've got some spots to replace, which you mentioned, but I guess just generally, like, how do you feel about the secondary as we move into fall camp? I feel pretty good for, for a group that, you know, technically is losing three starters, you know, four starters, if you, depending on how you want to justify or, or um, classify that nickel spot with, with Jojo Doman. Um, but you've got Quentin Newsom, who you expect to hold down one corner spot. The other one, you've got Tommy Hill, um, Steve's pick, which I thought was a was a pretty good one. You've also got Braxton Clark, who's intriguing in his in his own way. I wouldn't have had him in my top ten either, but like it wouldn't totally shock me if if Braxton Clark was was the game one starter at that opposite corner position. And you know, it's kind of a ongoing battle between he and Tommy Hill. Safety, I've I've long been, as you know, uh, a Miles Miles Farmer fan. So so that's good. And the reason I think Buford ranks four on a list such as this for me is he kind of inserted himself in there. So once we started hearing enough about him in spring football and knowing what he did on special teams, and I think he did a good job recapping that, like it takes a lot of maturity as a first year player to be like, okay, this is my role. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to work my tail off at, at doing that. And I I'm, I'm willing to do that. And, and, and just how much you learn from being able to go to all those road games 
but also just being like, well, um, I'm not I'm not getting into safety unless Markel Dismuke or Miles Farmer or Deontay Williams or perhaps all of them go down with injury. But that's okay. Like it displays a kind of patience that that I've really come to value when when thinking about players. So um if Buford can play at a level that set, that was kind of promised, you know, it's still a projection, but promised by what he did on special teams. If Farmer can can take a step from what we've already seen that I've already liked, and I and I, I thought Quentin Newsom did a great job while being kind of the the weak link that every team targeted in 2021. Um, I feel pretty good about that group. So getting another person at that other corner spot will be perhaps key if everything else goes, you know, pretty well, but Travis Fisher has earned the benefit of the doubt with me. Yeah. A five eleven safety, maybe a few years ago, people would have said, oh, he's a little too small to play the position or however many years ago. Um, but now I think just having that versatility, especially with the way that Travis Fisher likes to deploy guys that he has in that room. Um, it'll be really interesting to see sort of how Buford gets used. Let's move to number three. Who do you have at number three? This is why I, I wanted a, a language definition. Um, so if we truly are going most intriguing Huskers, number three on my list is not a player. It is offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. And I tried to talk Steve into this, and he wasn't having it, um, which is fine. It's Steve's list at the end of the day. <laughs> but I was like, you know, they're paying the guy almost a million dollars. Um, they bought his stock probably as high as it has been in five, six, seven seasons, which isn't a, a slight at Mark Whipple. It's just a reflection of, well, that pit offense took a huge jump. Like if you're, if you're holding Mark Whipple stock, like the time to sell was immediately after Pitt won the ACC championship. And that's basically what Nebraska did. I look at this as, so we've known that Nebraska's really never had a problem putting up yards. What they need, they need to put up about, in my view, 20% more points per game. So last year they were 27.9, call it 28. They put up 20% more points a game. That puts them a little over 33. If you hit 33 points per game playing over 12 games, but playing a nine-game Big Ten schedule, like it's really hard not to win eight games. I I mean, the Big Ten is just that good of a defensive conference, um, and you can't make up that difference by just beating every non-conference team you play 63-7, to which Nebraska is not going to do because they play Oklahoma primarily. Um, so how does that whole thing fit together? Um, you can look at Nebraska's offense and see the good parts. Um, how does Whipple come in and basically, I don't even know if Nebraska needs to gain more yards in 2022. They just need to score more points. And how does that happen? And the guy that they're paying almost a million dollars to do that, has got to be in the the top five most intriguing for me. So 33 points a game last year would have ranked among the 30 best offenses, 31 best offenses in college football. And it would have been third in the Big Ten. Yep. Only two teams cleared 33 points. Michigan at 36, and then obviously <laughs> Ryan Day's Death Star. Um, Ohio State beat it by 10 points or so. Yeah, they were at 46, which they just got Ouch. another – 
another five-star receiver. I don't know if you saw that this week from the 23 class. And I texted I texted Greg, Greg Smith, Hale Varsity's recruiting expert, and I said, at what point does a college football team at the like high G5 level, low power five level say, you know what? Screw it. I want to throw money at Ohio State's wide receiver coach. I want to do it. Look at what he's recruited. It's insane. Greg was like, it's got to be pretty soon, right? I, I think it has to be pretty soon as well. And I don't even know, like, the, the level of wide receiver recruiting they've had there lately is just insane. And wide receiver is one of those positions in recruiting where, where there tend to be, I think, a lot of, a lot of talented guys. Like, so, so a five-star wide receiver might mean a little bit less on its face than a five-star quarterback. But like when that's all you sign, you know, five and four-star wide receivers, like if the guys that can't, that are really good and just can't find playing time because you've recruited over them at Ohio state can go other places and, and be all conference level receivers. Like those guys, the ability to just throw the ball to somebody and be like, you know, maybe this play broke down. Maybe they got more pass rush than we wanted. Maybe there was somebody in the quarterback's face, et cetera, et cetera. And just being able to throw the ball and have guys that go get it is such a luxury. I don't think it's an offensive plan, but you don't have to worry about Ohio State's offensive plan because, oh, they're also, no matter who plays quarterback for them, it seems, is going to be awesome. Uh, they're going to get <laughs> two of the top 20 running backs uh, in any given season. And so it goes. And when you have all of that, having those wide receivers that can just win one-on-one is, is such a huge, huge advantage. Like it's, I don't know how Ohio state keeps doing it. Brian Hartline is the wide receiver coach there. He has been so good in that spot that like he might forego the kind of traditional path of, Oh, he gets a head coaching job in the Mac. Like, I don't even know if he has to mess with that. Like he might be in like Clemson coordinator territory where they can, turn down a ton of jobs that seem like pretty good jobs, just waiting for the perfect one. And that's probably not G5. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I could, I could see like a low end ACC school giving him a head coaching job right off the bat and just yeah. saying the most important thing to do is recruit. And you clearly are very good. Like I was thinking about their room when that, when that commitment came across the timeline, I was thinking about their room and I was like, they had Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba on the same team like 18 months ago. <laughs> it's absurd. It's absurd to think about. Yep. Um, they're great. And also I was reading something this week that Ryan day was waiting. That if Ryan day were to leave Ohio state, it'd be for an NFL job. And I was like, why would he leave for the NFL? It's, he's like the reasons that college coaches jump to the NFL, like the things that they don't like about the college game seem to be all the things that Ryan day is super um, skilled at with the college game. So that's that's interesting. When they're uh, when is their Death Star going to get blown up? I don't think anytime soon. Um, completely random Ohio State aside. Um, let's go back to let's get back to the topic at hand. Who is your number three? Remind me again. My no, number three is about Ohio Mark State's Whipple. Mark Whipple. Okay. Um, 
on the topic of wide receivers, I think one of the best endorsements that Mark Whipple got all offseason was when Jordan Addison told reporters that he first started thinking about transferring from Pitt when Mark Whipple left. Yeah, I don't, that, I, I don't think you can get a better endorsement when the Bolitnikov winning wide receiver said, yeah, you know, I, I started thinking about it, but he didn't do it immediately. He waited. He went through spring ball and then realized like, yep, I'm, I'm not about this life. I want to go someplace else. Um, that says good things about Whipple. Yeah, it does. If only he'd started thinking about it immediately, maybe Nebraska could have slipped in there and said, <laughs> well, you know, he's over here now. Um, if you really like him that much. But I mean, and he's a good example of wide receiver recruiting, because if I remember, you know, he was kind of like in the vast, you know, sea of three stars to high three star wide receivers and Blitnikoff award winner. That's how it often goes a wide receiver. So, you know, Whipple, it's, he's well, he's intriguing. Uh, he, he's kind of the literal de- definition of the word. It wasn't the the person. He he was somebody that I kind of thought could be out there just because his his stock was pretty high in the offseason, um, but was not on he wouldn't have been on my kind of top five list of hey, here's here's some offensive coordinators you should think about for Nebraska. So he's a little bit outside the box, which I always like. To check the offensive boxes that you want to see checked, which of these two paths is best for Nebraska to take? Mark Whipple gets complete control of the offense, or it's an amalgamation of the Mark Whipple Scott Frost show? Probably an amalgamation. And I think that was part of, I think that's part of the appeal with hiring somebody like Whipple, who has as many years in the game as he does. Like, there's not a lot he hasn't seen. He's a guy who's used to um, kind of fitting the plan to what he has. Uh, and, and I don't know that Nebraska has done a great job of that to this point. So if he can bring that, like, I mean, there are clearly parts, at least clear to me, of the, the quote-unquote Scott Frost offense, like, you know, whatever it was we thought Nebraska was getting when he came over from UCF and whatever it has been in the four years since, like all through that, all through the fact that it hasn't produced anywhere near the number of wins anyone thought, like there's still clearly some good pieces of this offense. Um, So to throw that out wholesale, and I might be like, you know, kind of one of the last people clinging to the ship before, before hopping in a lifeboat, lifeboat on that. But I think there's a lot there. And I do think Scott Frost is a good offensive coach. Um, So to get rid of all of that seems like it might be weakening Nebraska in hopes of getting stronger when you might not have to do that. This is random, but I have the scoring offense leaderboard in the Big Ten up on my screen right in front of me. Nebraska was only a point worse per game than Purdue, which had – what a lot of people think was one of like the breakout quarterbacks in, in all college football last year. So yeah. context is certainly interesting. I like Whipple as, as a number three. Who's your number two? Teddy Brahaska, um, which is, one. is another one that feels a little bit about, uh, well, it feels a lot like projection because I feel like he's gotten kind of penciled in of like, okay, well, we, we assume he'll get healthy and he'll be 100%, but the time season is is ready to go. And that's, that's a great thing. But as I kind of look at it this off season, I'm like, he got used as basically a third tight end in kind of a 
you know, gimmick formation at Oklahoma and did pretty well in that role. And and Nebraska was way closer in that game than I expected them to be, I think, than most people expected them to be. So there's something to be said for that. He starts against Northwestern. It's Nebraska's best game of the season, but it's a game they're in control of from basically the first play when they hit a 70-yard completion, whatever it was, to, to Samori Ture, which, you know, again, you can't discount it based solely on that, but it's it's a lot different than how Nebraska ended up losing a bunch of games last year and, and has lost a bunch of games over the past four seasons. And then he gets hurt early against Michigan. So it all looked encouraging, but when I step back in an offseason, I think you need an offseason to do this and look at it, it's a pretty – short sample size against a Northwestern team that wasn't very good last year. So while I, I really like the ceiling for, for Teddy penciling him in at left tackle and be like, well, if he just gets back to healthy, that's solved. I'm not sure that's the case. So that's why he fits the definition of intriguing for me. Um, I think he's going to be a really, really good offensive lineman. Can he, how close is he to that in 2022, I think is a, a big determining factor for, for Nebraska. Take your Sharpie out right now and Sharpie in the five offensive linemen who will take the field first when Nebraska plays Northwestern. <sighs> I mean, if you had to do it and it, you know, it sounds like it's probably Prohaska, Noelle, Hickson, I'm going to guess Corcoran then goes to – Corcoran's going to be in there somewhere. It's just a matter of where. So this would, by default, put him at right guard and then Ben Hart at right tackle. Okay. Can't wait. That'll be fun. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you made me use a Sharpie. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't choose to use a Sharpie on my own. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's, there's some positions in there that are still very much – up for grabs but like you look at that kind of lineup it you know part of the reason Prohaska is number two for me is a lot of it depends on okay can we sharpen him in at left tackle which maybe you can I think he probably is has the best potential of any left tackle on the roster currently but how close does he get to that potential right away this season and the right side of that line is like that I, you know, I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but like, if that's the right side of the line, like that's your season. That's your, that's prove, your right from, yeah. from two guys that everybody, um, myself included really, really loved coming out of high school. Yeah. Those were two guys that, you know, not to stick with the Sharpie thing, but I bet a lot of people Sharpie as your, your bookend tackles that were going to be, you know, guys that could potentially lead you to a big 10 title game in their third or fourth year. Um, and uh, if you go by PFS numbers, Turner was one of the worst um, offensive linemen in college football last year. And Ben Hart certainly has a lot to prove still, um, man. That, I, I I would like to see a, a Corcoran right guard, Ben Hart, right tackle alignment, just, just for the redemption tour, the revenge yeah. tour, 22, I'd like to see it. I think it would be an interesting storyline. Who's your yeah? And to the, and it, sorry, oh, sorry, to their credit, they they got there right. Like they they were your bookend tackles. It just didn't go real well. Um, so the, I mean, 
simply being able to play that position um, as young as they did, I think says something about their talent. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of finding that, that right mix. Certainly. Yeah. All right. We've reached number one, number one on Brandon Vogel's list of most intriguing Huskers slash Husker coaches for 22. Who's number one. (laughs) So when I was talking with Steve about this, (laughs) The, the question of quarterback came up and I told him, you know, if I were you, I would list this as Casey quote Chuba unquote smothers, because like, I think we, we know that based on experience, Casey Thompson has, has a leg up to be the starter there. I don't go into this summer thinking that that's necessarily a foregone conclusion. He's just got the best odds. So I would have a hard time. Uh, choosing one quarterback and realistically like on any top five list such as this the quarterback spot probably has to be in there but instead of naming three guys I chose to leave it out entirely I'm going to go with O'Shawn Mathis and that's because outside of good quarterback play I think singular pass rush ability has the biggest impact on a team immediately. And and it doesn't mean that I know that O'Shawn Mathis is going to get there. In 2020, he was really, really strong. 2021, TCU's defense as a whole kind of took a staggering uh, step back overall, and his numbers came down along with that. So it's not like I pencil him in and say, oh, he's, he's Randy Gregory 2.0. But I think he has that potential. And if he could be that, um, that probably has the biggest impact on Nebraska outside of the quarterback position, outside of just getting solid, the kind that we need type of quarterback play. Um, having a an O'Shawn Mathis type player who can just win on his own uh, probably changes the ceiling of this team the most. What's the percentage chance in your mind that he is that kind of player right from the, the opening kickoff, that player that we've been talking about around Nebraska's defense and they've been like like searching for for four years and, and people, fans here have been searching for for years and years and years since Randy Gregory left. Like what's the percentage chance that he is that player for you? I would say – 53% he is, um, which I don't, I don't mean as a slight to him at all. Um, it's just, there's a lot of factors there. I think the biggest one is just playing in the big 10. And, and I don't like, this isn't 2009 or 2010 where we can look at the big 12 and be like, Oh, that's just like carnival football. You know, it's, it's totally different, but we're not entirely removed from that yet. I mean, I think if you look at college football from an objective perspective, you can say there's SEC and the Big Ten at this level. And then, you know, the Big 12 is probably the next closest team conference-wide or next conference, next closest conference, conference-wide there. ACC, its top teams are in that group. Um, but it's just the – Week in and week out grind, I think, you face playing Big Ten offensive lines as a pass rusher is going to be a little bit different. So being able to handle that will be a change for him. And that's part of the reason Nebraska landed him, right? Which I think speaks well to 
his kind of knowledge of his current skill set and where he wants to be. So I, I think it's, I think you'll notice Oshan Mathis uh, immediately in week one when he's on the field for Nebraska. It's just a matter of like, how high can he, how high can that go? And, and I'm pretty optimistic it can go pretty high, but still it's, it's a little bit closer to a coin flip where it's like, he could be a guy where it's like, yeah, I had a pretty nice season and he's going to go off to the NFL, like doing what he came in hoping to do, which was prove himself against a different conference, you know, a different setup um, without having maybe a, a direct impact on Nebraska's wins and losses. I still think it's more likely than not that he ha- he does have a direct impact on Nebraska's wins and losses. Yeah. I like the list. I'm ready for it to be football season. I don't know. This is yeah. this is the the most anticipation I've had for a football season in a while. And like that's you know, that's nationally with the the Marcus Freeman, Brian Kelly situations with Lincoln Riley at USC, what's happening at Georgia. Um, like how's what does the Dabo bounce back season look like? Some of that stuff, but then just kind of locally at Nebraska, there's all the reasons that we just talked about and a bunch of other reasons that it would take us five hours to talk about on here. Um yeah. I'm very much looking forward to the season. We're uh, we're getting close. I think we're less than 75 days away. Yeah, it's starting to feel close. Like obviously a high stakes season for Nebraska, and then as you mentioned, you know some really interesting and high profile coaching changes, and then just broadly, like you know, it feels like we're at the beginning of a new era for college football, where you know. It's it's always been a sport divine, defined by a handful of like power programs, and that handful is occasionally changing. But in a transfer portal era, in an NIL era, like it feels like, well, maybe something will change here. Maybe there's a team that just comes out of nowhere, um, and that becomes a regular feature of the game. Whereas you know it has felt like uh, maybe once every three four years part of the game in the past. Yeah. One thing that I keep meaning to ask you and I keep forgetting. So I'm going to ask you now um, with this wave to get rid of, to scrap divisions and change conference championship structure to just the top two teams in the conference, not just the top team in each division. Do you wish the big 10 would jump on board with that right away? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't see much reason to wait, you know, coming at it from a Nebraska perspective, like they're just trying to get back into that conversation. Um, So I don't have any strong feelings about it that way, but there's so many rivalries in the big 10 that going to a, you know, kind of three protected opponents, like I'd be interested to see how that works. And it's been a while since I've like penciled that all out. Like there's so many rivalries in the big 10, unlike almost any other conference, like the sec might be closest where even you can say like, okay, we guarantee you these three games every year, there's going to be some team that's like, well, we've played for this trophy for 95 years and it's, it's gone. And you're just never going to get around that. But the Big Ten t- seems well suited to to that sort of approach. And given its standing in the college game as either an equal or a one B to the SEC's one A, certainly seems to benefit its playoff prospects the most, which is what this is all about. Yeah, definitely, Brandon. I'll let you get out of here. You got some stuff to do. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate. It was nice to catch up. 
Yeah, it was good to talk to you. Thank you. You have a podcast, but it's in the off season right now. And the last few guests that I've had, I've been able to plug their podcast. I can't plug your podcast because there's not something happening right now. So plug the website, Brandon Vogel. I know that the, the yearbook is coming soon, but what's coming on HailVarsity.com? Yeah. Um, so we'll continue with uh, Steve's most intriguing series, which we talked about here. So you'll be able to pick up with that either midstream or if you've been reading since the start, that'll be ongoing for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> that'll kind of lead us straight into to Big Ten Media Days, which is why we timed it up that way. Um, we have the NBA draft, which Jacob has some some big plans for uh, with in terms of Bryce McGowan's and where he ends up going. So, so that'll be a piece of the, this going forward. There's been some volleyball commits recently. And also, you know, we made a big push for the yearbook to get everybody in by the initial subscribe deadline. Um, this is like a, a hidden track on a CD. CDs were how you used to listen to music, Derek. I don't know if you remember that. Um, and sometimes got, there were- I got vinyl <laughs> records on the shelf behind me. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, we will have a second ship date for Hale Varsity Yearbook. So if you were like, I, I was interested in subscribing, I missed the yearbook, um, there's going to be another chance to, to get in and still get that. So it'll be pretty limited. So you'll want to jump on it quickly. So just make sure you're following Hale Varsity on social, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you prefer. Um, we're pretty much at Hale Varsity on all of those. So stay tuned to that because there'll be some news forthcoming there. Make sure you're also subscribed to Hale Varsity so that in the future you don't miss stuff and have to catch it on a, on a restock. These sneaky guy restock talk about let's go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe use the promo code varsity make sure that you get signed up for the website that will also allow you to read every single thing on the website that you want to so make sure you get that taken care of brandon again thank you for coming on it's good to talk to you shouts to cam for producing this episode every week shouts to you guys for listening we'll be back next week Hood at Media Production.